the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jason Whitlock is the best sports writer in America. And I say that even though he blocked me on Twitter about five years ago and has kept me blocked. I still don't know why. I forget why he did it. But anyway, but anyway, nobody uh, writing uh, or talking sports has more guts than this guy. His latest piece at Blaze Media is a perfect example. Saturday night, the Packers and the Patriots were playing a preseason game, and a player named Isaiah Bolden was injured. He was motionless on the field and had to be taken off on a stretcher. That always brings everything to a halt and quiets the stadium. And he ended up going to the hospital and is going to be fine, but for a while there it obviously didn't look good. So the Patriots and the Packers agreed to cancel the game with about 10 minutes left. And we've reached the point, as Whitlock points out, where nobody really would dare object to that, not after DeMar Hamlin and everything we saw there, but he did object to it loudly. He actually wrote, this is what he wrote, quote, football died Saturday night in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He pointed out that it was 45 years ago that a player named Daryl Stingley was hit by Jack Tatum and paralyzed for life in a game. And then he writes, quote, I am arguing that we've grossly overcorrected. He's talking about safety here. I'm arguing that we, we've grossly overcorrected. Football can't survive this correction. The enemies of football and masculinity have won. They killed football. They won the long war of convincing men that the key to happiness is choosing safety over freedom, safety over everything, unquote. And he writes that uh, we used to go to football games hoping to see a player, quote, get the snot knocked out of him. And he says, not permanently injured, but get the snot knocked out of him. Then he says football was a high-risk game, and that's what separates it from the other combat sports, and that's why women box, but none play football. And he says that there were easy-to-identify consequences for playing football, and he sums it up with this. Feminists aspire to create an androgynous world. Football can't be America's pastime in that world. Soccer is the solution. Megan Rapinoe is Joe Montana. That's one that got me. And by the way, that's an unquote. And then, uh, by the way, Matt Whitlock uh, played college football at Ball State. And he is right. If soccer does replace football as the national pastime, it'll be the end of the masculine man. Anyway, when we come back, the Republican date is tomorrow night. How much time will and should be spent talking about energy now that gas is heading toward $4 a gallon again? Daniel Turner of Power of the Future will be here with some questions that he'd like to see directed at the panel. And then our second half hour, a woman who rented a Tesla, drove it for a week, and she hated it and came away as a major proponent for gas-powered cars. Stick around. Well, the big debate is tomorrow night. Uh, I don't know what the topics are or who's going to be in charge of picking those topics other than the hosts, um, Brett Baer and, uh, and Martha McCallum on Fox. But you would hope that energy would be one of the subjects, I guess that remains to be seen, unless they have said officially what the subjects are, and I haven't heard it yet. But 
I know one guy who would like to see energy be a, a, one of the major topics, and that's uh, Daniel Turner. He's the founder and executive director of Power of the Future, and he joins us now. Daniel, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure to be on your show, John. Thank you. So, uh, do you think, first of all, do you get the feeling that, it, that first of all, you know that it sh- I know that you think it should, but do you think it will be enough of a topic tomorrow night? Um, no, I don't. And the only reason why, and it's not a knock on the moderators, it's not a knock on the GOP, it's just sadly the nature of our presidential debates. They want ratings. Right. So they want to talk about things that are sexy, things that make sound bites and and make good uh, make for good TV. So they'll talk a lot about January 6th. They'll talk about threats to the democracy. Do you believe the 2020 election was fair? Um, They'll talk about things that pit one against the other, um, but absolutely have no substance whatsoever. And and with what we're seeing every day in our country, um, the Maui fires being the most recent example, um, incompetence is deadly. And we have incompetent government around the country at the state, federal and local level. And we have incompetent elected leaders because we have a, a, a childish uh, election process. And, and we watch each other call them. We watch them call each other names. Um, and, and we ask about trans issues and, and, and not to knock any of them. They're all to a certain extent have, the, have their importance and merit. But we ultimately elect our government officials to, to run the government and to run the multiple government functions. And that's the energy grid. And, 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 and that's our infrastructure. And that's, uh, you know, as an extension, our foreign policy, which is oil based and our economy. So, I would hope it gets a lot of attention, but sadly, I, I don't think it will. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Maui, and I wasn't going to go there, but just an example, this isn't energy necessarily, but it's resources, and they, they, they completely screwed up the water during a fire. They couldn't get the water delivered or, or decided, eh, I don't think we need it yet, or something happened that probably cost, well, that definitely cost hundreds if not thousands of lives. Absolutely. And, and this is a, this is incompetence. Um, and it's also it's also having warped ideologies. Right. This is where equity is deadly. And so the water commissioner said he sees equity in the ancient Hawaiian uh, 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 belief of a God uh, as a God. Water is a God and therefore it has to be revered. And he wanted equitable distribution of water. What does that mean? Well, we know the result of it when the people of Lahaina were looking for water. They didn't have any, and they weren't able to put out the fires, and that's equity, right? And we see equity even at other levels. You tell me it's equity when your five-year-old granddaughter has to change in front of a a naked 50-year-old man, and you say, well, he identifies as a woman. That's equity. So equity has real consequences, and we have to stop talking about these ideologies in the ethereal, right? We have to talk about them in reality, and reality is equity is doing tremendous damage to our country. And again, before we get to what you would like to see asked at the debate tomorrow night, um, we are, of course, getting the usual climate change hysteria uh, around the fire, and that that's what caused it. That's yeah, also and that's easy. It is totally predictable, because once you blame climate change, you get to wash your hands of the situation, right? You, you don't have to do an after-action review. You don't have to determine if there was incompetence or if there were... Uh, the, the, the one county commissioner who's responsible for sounding the alarms decided not to. 
right? But if you just blame everything on, on, equi- on, on climate change, you don't have to ask, walk me through your philosophy, buddy. Why did you not sound the emergency alarm system? Walk me through your beliefs. How come you didn't employ water resources? Walk me through your understanding of why you diverted tax dollars that were dedicated towards grid maintenance and upgrades towards solar and wind uh, uh, studies to see if you could have a quote-unquote green electric grid, right? Those are the consequences. But but we, we won't have any of that after action. We won't have any of the review process. You just say climate change, and you move on to the, to the next issue. Well, you have a piece uh, at the Daily Caller. We're talking to Daniel Turner, founder and executive director of Power of the Future. You had a piece up uh, at the Daily Caller where you uh, have questions that you would ask if your organization were to sponsor such a debate. That would be an interesting debate, by the way, uh, not just your organization, but to have someone uh, w- within somebody a-, a debate about energy that was just focused on energy, moderated by people who know something about energy and know the right questions to ask. That would be an interesting debate, wouldn't it? It would. And, and, and the reason why is because energy undergirds everything. And energy undergirds our entire economy. Uh, um, everything you're buying right now is so expensive because energy is expensive. And if you're buying eggs and they're $4 a dozen, which they are in many places of the nation, they're $4 a dozen because everyone from the chicken farmer who brought those eggs uh, to, to hatch and watch them turn into layers to the who produces uh, the bo- uh, I shouldn't say man, John, I'm so sorry. The right. person who <laughs> produces the boxes yeah. to transporting them to the, your, your grocery store refrigerator bill is higher because energy is expensive. And, and so those are the questions I'd like to see. You know, Pennsylvania, the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, last election in 2022, you dabbled in this, but of course the media did its job and covered it up. Fracking is always a hot-button issue. Suddenly, Fetterman and Shapiro changed their tune on fracking. It was a tough election. They didn't want to lose. And so for despite the fact that they have a whole record opposing fracking, when it came time to it, they were like, no, 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 I've always thought fracking is necessary. Yeah. And everyone just gave it a pass. What would a fracking ban mean to the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? Those are the types of questions I'd love to, to probe the candidates on. Well, here's uh, here's another one, uh, and this is a good one uh, is, that you said you would ask. We hear a lot about the need to transition, you have that in quotes, to alter- alternative energy. Do you think America needs to transition away from the sources of energy that build our country? Of the people who are on that uh, debate, I guess it's eight people now, do you just get the feeling that if they were, were to be asked that question, their answer would be a good one, all of them? Uh, no, I don't. I, I think... The green agenda is the slippery slope towards socialism. And because it is a hot button issue and because it is uh, people are afraid of it, especially Republicans dance around the issue. So they will say, look, we can all agree that. Well, no, no, we can't all agree. Right. Liken it to gun control. Yeah. Do you think there should be an assault ban weapon? The response is, look, we can all understand that these school shootings are deadly. And I want to put together an administration that focuses on keeping our kids safe and building a better tomorrow. And their, their members of the audience will get their cue to start clapping, and they'll clap. And the moderator will move on to the next question and say, well, no, should we ban assault weapons? Yes or no. Should we ban fracking? Yes or no. And in this example, that is the language the left has put on us. We need to transition 
to renewable energy. I would like to know if they really believe it. Do you think we have to? Because I don't. I make no bones about it. When people say, well, you know, you know, we need to look for an all of the above, we need to consider transitioning away from, I say, no, we don't. I say not at all. If anything, we need more fossil fuels because look at the quality of life it has given the American people. But if you start slowly opening that window, look, I, <clears throat> I'm not saying we should do anything. I just want to build an administration that is open to, oh, boy, you lost me. You lost me. As soon as you open up the left to the left a little bit, they just take you. Well, um, Donald Trump is not going to be involved in the debate uh, tomorrow night. What about this question? Do you think it might be a good idea to just go back to whatever Donald Trump was doing? <laughs> I w- yes. <laughs> I would like for the people to know what went wrong with our energy philosophy in the previous administration. Because the numbers are very clear. We produced more energy than ever before at a lower price point on average than ever before for the greatest number of people by lowering emissions. If you want to play the emissions game, we lowered emissions more than all of those European countries that didn't leave the Paris Climate Accords. So we saw gas at $2 a gallon nationally. We saw inflation at barely over 1% year over year. What was wrong about that philosophy? We were exporting oil and gas to our allies. Food was inexpensive. Uh, Utility bills were inexpensive. What was wrong about that? And I would love to know what they think. And and sadly, again, they only have 30 seconds to respond, which is silly. Why I love radio. And also, you know, John, this is a, a, a compliment to you and your colleagues. This is why the right loves talk radio because you get a chance to really dive into these yeah. conversations and, and have lengthy answers and not just silly sound bites. Yeah. And, and so one of the other things you point out in your piece, and we're talking to Daniel Turner, founder and executive director of Power of the Future, about what to expect or not expect uh, on the uh, debate tomorrow night as far as, as questions and discussion about energy. Uh, I thought this was a good one. You write that China controls around 90% of the rare earth element uh, element market, uh, but these materials are needed for all high-tech and military equipment. America has access to these natural resources, but the Biden administration has prohibited their extraction. Two things. How have they prohibited their extraction? And then your question would be, would you support opening those mines for for the, that would be your question for the people on the panel. Yeah, I, and those that's, again, very concrete and very specific. And I can point to the mines, and, and your audience has probably heard some of their names before. Pebble Mine uh, in Alaska, the largest copper deposit ever found. Every EV, every uh, electric vehicle requires between 60 and 80 pounds of copper. So if we're going to go all electric, we need a lot of copper. Why can't we open Pebble Mine? And the Biden administration will say we can't because of climate change. You say, but you're driving up the need for copper because of climate change. So why do we have to buy our copper from foreign countries when we could produce it here in America, keep the jobs, keep the tax revenue to market responsibly, right? Twin metals mines in Minnesota, same deal. We need graphite mines, gold mines, uranium mines. And all of these mines, the Biden EPA is saying, nope. Can't open that mine. It's bad, bad for the environment, bad for climate change. But then they are forcing the, 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 the producers to get those raw materials from foreign sources. 
And I don't know why that's, first of all, why is that green? Why, why is it green to get copper from Argentina and Chile and not green to get copper from Alaska? And, and so, so how is that green? And why is that good for the world? I mean, no offense to the Chileans and the Argentinians, but it's not my job to make sure they have jobs. It's my job to make sure Alaskans have jobs as president. Yeah. So it, it, they're very simple questions, but they're specific and they're concrete and no more dancing. I support making America a strong nation. <laughs> that means nothing. <laughs> and that's what we're going to hear tomorrow night, John. And I'm going to watch it and I'm going to live tweet it. We're going to yeah. hear a lot of those silly platitudes that mean nothing. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've been debating whether I even want to watch it because I don't think anything, <laughs> I, I don't think anything really good is going to come out of it. Um, but uh, some other things that you you point out though uh, in your piece at the Daily Caller, the um, something that I I really haven't seen a lot of discussion about is um, the amount of foreign funding of the groups that um, are, are the the you know the green groups, the the environmental wackos uh, how yeah. much are they supported by foreign money and that's a question you would have for the panel which that'll never happen tomorrow night but it's a good one for now anyway no it's, it's something that will never happen because it, it enters into a, a really ugly conversation of of uh foreign money in our elections and it's something the, the right is constantly accused of right the whole premise of the ukraine hoax was that Trump colluded with Russia right. uh, to win the election. But we know there's evidence that the left gets enormous amounts of funding from foreign sources, but they do it under the name of, of, of ENGOs. They do it under the name of the Sierra Club, National Resources Defense Council, Environmental Defense Fund, uh, Greenpeace. They don't have to disclose their donors. And so suddenly you say, well, that's odd. You have an operating budget of $250 million dollars. That's a lot of money. Where did you get it from? And they will hide behind the fact that they don't have to disclose. But how do they spend that money? They spend that money pushing for, lobbying for, uh, advocating policies that benefit other countries. So it just seems logical. If I was Russia and China, I would fund opposition groups in, in America that help me out. Uh, they couldn't ask for a better ally than environmental groups that say, no, you can't open Pebble Mine. So we are forced to buy rare earths from from Chinese markets. It's a brilliant strategy. They're taking advantage of us like China always does, like Russia always does. And it's worth investigation. But again, I, I think sadly, our presidential debates like to talk about fluffy issues that make for good TV and not issues that will radically improve the lives of Americans. Got about a minute left with Daniel Turner, founder and executive director of Power of the Future. Um, what role you write? A, you said that you could write a book, and maybe you should, on the role government should play in the fossil fuel industry. What what could government do aside from get out of the way? Yeah, uh, it, it, that's all it could do. <laughs> the best thing it could do is let us produce responsibly. And I will go back to 2019 when we had the free markets operate. We produced more for less in the cleanest, most responsible way possible. That is the, the magic of the free markets. All of this nonsense about big oil is greedy, price gouging, uh, uh, profiteering, all those accusations came once Biden became president. It's amazing how when the free markets operated, we, we did nothing but what was responsible. And we would go back to that if the free markets were allowed to operate. Hey, Daniel, I'm out of time. I appreciate you coming on as usual. I'll be watching the debate, I think, with you tomorrow night. Thanks.
Thank you, John. Okay, that's Daniel Turner, founder and executive director of Power of the Future, and we'll be right back. Well, I'll probably never own an electric car. I think I'm old enough to be dead before the government can make me. Uh, I've heard too many horror stories. I know someone else who will never own one, at least voluntarily. That would be Stella Morabito. She's a senior contributor at The Federalist. She test drove a Tesla for a week, and she joins us now. Stella, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This so, uh, this piece was uh, has gotten some attention. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned me when I had an email yesterday that uh, some Tesla owners, well, we'll get to why. Well, well, maybe after they hear you today, they'll like you less. I don't know, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Let's, let's, some Tesla owners have, have let you know that they didn't agree with you, but where, where did you go with your Tesla? All righty. Well, uh, we spent a week in the Seattle area. Uh, I guess this was about seven weeks ago or so. And, um, you know, it was neither one, neither my husband nor I had ever driven an electric vehicle before. And I noticed that at the Hertz rental when I was, you know, uh, planning the trip, I noticed that. Uh, the the price difference between a Tesla Model 3 long range and you know regular mid-size um, gas-powered vehicle were pretty ne- you know the difference wasn't enough to say oh absolutely out of the question it was pretty ne- negligible so um, we decided yeah this would be a good experience a good experiment we tried to do our due diligence and uh, you know read up on uh, you know on Teslas we did the tutorials with Hertz. Uh, you know, about how to lock the car and open the car and the key, you know, the things that are different from uh, your standard, um, you know, mid-size car that you would, you know, just use gas fuel. And uh, and so anyway, um, well, the short answer is Seattle area and Washington State. So were you or your husband fans of electric vehicles before you decided to drive one? Well, not really, but we wanted to give it a chance. We wanted to see what it felt like, uh, you know, just kind of get the experience. And we thought, you know, rather than just test drive one for 30 minutes, why not just, uh, you know, do it for, our, uh, you know, during our uh, travel, during our uh, trip. And uh, we did quite a bit of driving. Um, and, uh, you know, there was one day in particular, my brother was taking us out on his car for the whole day. So we didn't, you know, it sat there and it battery drained while it sat there for that one day. But, um, you know, we, it, the, the one caution I would make, especially for renting a Tesla, and I'm not so sure, um, you know, after listening to, you know, all of these uh, people on Twitter, you know, kind of get annoyed with my uh, piece, I'm not so sure the car rental company should just offer them, I, you know, uh, because especially if you're going to, if you're planning to do a road trip, uh, but, you know, with an EV-friendly area of the country, Seattle and uh, Washington State, and uh, we figured, I looked up, you know, how many charging stations there were, superchargers, that's what you want. You don't want just a regular charging station because you're stuck for like three, four, five hours. Uh, you want a supercharger, uh, and uh, you know that you can get maybe fifty percent battery um, in like thirty minutes. Still, that's a long time to sit around while you're quote refueling. Yeah, that, and and so when you say supercharger, what is the diff? What is the ratio of uh, between the um, superchargers and the chargers that are available on the road when you're out on a trip? Well, the charger, the regular charger, you know, like 
the hotel, one of the hotels we stayed in, uh, had a regular charger, and uh, they take uh, a long time to charge. I mean, they they'll, you know, you we needed to have it plugged in for maybe three, four hours, but we were staying at the hotel, so it wasn't that big a deal uh, for us. Um, you know, most Tesla owners have chargers at home, and, and you know, they just. If they commute, they just plug them in when they get home and forget about it. But when you're on the road, if you're renting or if you're just on the road, uh, you need to have a supercharger. And they have about apparently 1,500 of these stations um, around the country. But each station will have several chargers. uh, But, you know, you, you have to go to one of those stations in order to charge your car. And, uh, you know, kind of like a gas station will have maybe eight or ten pumps or something like that. So, uh, anyway, uh, just to get us going, we pretty much would need to be there for at least half an hour. And some of these stations, um, you know, are, are in convenient areas, um, but... Uh, you know, where you can go to a coffee shop or something while you're waiting or a drugstore. But uh, some of them are not. Some of them are not in places and certainly not after closing hours where, uh, you know, you might, you know, you might not feel safe. They're unsupervised. They're um, just, uh, you know, they're out there uh, not necessarily with amenities. Well, but while would, you're drunk, well, would, go ahead. It would seem that uh, the... The crime-committing community would be uh, aware of those chargers and uh, be lurking about. It's a good spot. You know somebody's got their car plugged in for, they're going to be there for a little while, even if it's only for half an hour. Yeah, now we didn't experience any of that. We didn't see any of that, but I've read about it, uh, you know, since I, you know, got home from the trip. I, you know, because I wasn't really expecting to to kind of feel that way. Um, You know, most of the superchargers, you know, it was daylight, regular hours and everything. But you're right. Um, Any, you know, any unsupervised place where people are stuck for a long time, um, half an hour just out there or they leave their car, um, yeah, they're, they're targets these days, definitely. And, um, and so I wasn't, uh, that was just one of my seven points that I mentioned in this Federalist piece about why I would never buy a Tesla, at least not at this point. I mean, if they can get those batteries working to a range of 500 miles, uh, that, that would uh, maybe convince me. But, uh, you know, still, you just have to keep charge, charge, charging right now. And, uh, you know, there's a real loyal fan base for Tesla. I can tell tell you that. What are are some of the comments you've gotten from people, the ones that you can say on the radio anyway? Oh, no, no, they just say, you know, oh, well, you know, know, I'm I'm not tech savvy. I mean, you know, I should be able to figure this out, uh, you know. um, Oh, gee, you know, I should have been prepared to to tell you some of them. You know, one says, well, her husband, you know, certainly had to have done it. Well, no, I I, I (laughs) did the planning. I I, uh, make the reservations and and all of that. So. Um, anyway, it was, uh, and you know, that this is nonsense that, you know, it it was, uh, uh, you know, I shouldn't have, uh, rented. Well, again, maybe rental companies should not be offering them except to quote certified members of the Tesla club. You know, I don't, (laughs) 
I don't know. Um, it, it was just, it was just very. Oh, and th- they were annoyed that I brought up uh, the environmentalist issue. Oh, okay. Um, and um, but you know that is an issue. Well, they don't. Uh, they don't like to hear that. That I don't know if you brought up the the uh, slave labor in the Congo to make the batteries. They don't. Li- they don't want to hear that. Apparently. Well, I didn't mention the slave labor. That's absolutely right. Uh, uh, I didn't mention the strip mining that's required to yeah. get the cobalt and the lithium and, and all of that. And, and there is child labor, um, you're right, in, in that area of Africa to, to, to pull out the cobalt from the mines. It's, you know, it, it's not something that I mentioned, but I'm sure they wouldn't want to hear about it. Um, no. Well, so um, the, it sounds to me like you you took it on a road trip. I it sounds to me like it might be a car that a lot of the issues would disappear that you mentioned that bothered you if you were a commuter who only went a couple hundred miles a week commuting back and forth to work. It would only need to be charged once. Uh, That's your right. issue was was using it to take it on a trip, and that would be I, I, the idea of having to stop even for thirty minutes. To fill up my my gas tank, uh, I, I, that's a that's a that's a deal a deal breaker for me. Right, right. No, the, and that's the other thing. If they could supercharge in you know a few minutes, the way it would take you to fill yeah. up your gas tank, uh, that that would also uh, you know make things easier. Uh, yeah, one of the criticisms was that uh, a uh, you know uh, it, people who are not car people. Have no business writing about cars. You know, stay in your lane. Oh, okay, write about yeah. Hillary yeah. and you know, and all of that. But I was just offering this piece, um, you know, as a kind of a, hey, you know, I'm a consumer. I'm a yeah. driver. Uh, yeah, I'm not a. I'm not a member of the certified uh, Tesla club. But um, this was my experience for an entire week, and uh, the, the the range anxiety really is a big thing. And a lot of and some of these folks. They don't think it should be. They say, just plan ahead. You can stop. And, you know, and, you know, they have these charging stations. Yeah. But, but when your battery gets down, like, to 10%, you're not sure you're going to make it to this next charging station. And, you're, and you can only find them while the, while the car is in motion. And you have, everything is pretty dependent on this interface with this, um, uh, it's like a laptop screen in the middle between the driver and the passenger side. It, you know, kind of requires you text while driving, and uh, well, not text, but you know, you, you have to. Yeah, but that, is that how you locate the, the charging locations? Right, you have to touch, and only while the car was in motion, it worked. Mm-hmm. You have to touch the thunderbolt on the screen, and then it, and then it gives you a really nice list of all the charging stations. In the area, I don't know, it's like a 50, 100-mile radius or something, and uh, it tells you how much per kilowatt hour and, you know, what, what the charges cost and, and whether or not there are amenities. But, of course, you don't really have a choice if you're on the road and you've got to stop uh, to get a charge. So, Well, I, uh, I like filling up my SUV and seeing it when I sit back down in the seat. It says distance till empty, 427 miles. That's... That's oh, good yeah. enough. That's good enough for me. When I'm heading on a trip that's 250 miles away, I don't want to stop at 120 because I'm a. I'm. I can't be sure that it's going to make the 250. So I got you know, like at 180, I got to stop for a half hour. I'm out. I don't want to hear about it. Don't want one. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. It. It is. Uh, you know, if you want to keep your life simple, 
Um, You know, this is not really the the car for you. Unless, of course, as you mentioned, John, that, you know, if you're a commuter and you have this car and you enjoy it and you like all the little perks on it and you uh, have your charger at home, you have like your own little charging station, you can plug it up and it charges while you're home and sleeping and then you get up the next day and it's you're good to go. And, of course, you've got the range if you you know, or you need to go like 20 miles. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it, it's not great for that, but some people think road trips and Teslas are, are fine, you know, it, but I think they're stress-inducing even, uh, you know, because of the dependence that you have on finding those superchargers right. while you're on the road. We're talking to Stella Morabito. She's a senior contributor at The Federalist, and I have a couple of minutes left here, two or three minutes left here, Stella, and I didn't want to let you go without asking about something totally unrelated to this. Um, you're also the author of a book called The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. And I, I remember having you on the show to talk about it a little while back, and then I noticed that Hillary Clinton had a piece in The Atlantic a couple of weeks ago that she was getting a lot of mileage out of showing up on TV, with that was the title of the piece with the weaponization of loneliness was that some uh, plagiarism on her part there (laughs) well um you know you can't really copyright a title even though you can copyright of a book or a song or a poem or whatever but having said that i feel sure that you know after having done over 100 interviews on this book including with you know some very high profile uh like dennis prager and Tucker Carlson, that, that, you know, the weaponization of loneliness as a term, a lot of people have said what a, you know, how that resonates um, so deeply with how, you know, how, how we're going as a society. And, um, and so it, I guess it, it, it was somewhat predictable that it could get lifted. It just I wasn't expecting it to be used by someone like Hillary Clinton. And it wasn't just that Atlantic piece that was headlined with the title of my book, The Weaponization of Loneliness. But uh, a few days later, she was interviewed by Rachel Maddow at MSNBC. And uh, she used the term, you know, she voiced it. And, and, and what she's done with that is completely opposite to my thesis, the thesis of my book, which is expressed in the subtitle, uh, you know, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. All she did in that piece was demonize her political opponents and, uh, and, and, and then refer to that as the weaponization of loneliness, which, of course, is 180 degrees from an actual thesis, which, you know, which I uh, presented and which we talked about. And I thank you so much for having interviewed me on my book. Yeah, I have one minute left. Can you just, um, uh, since, uh, you know, so people may not have heard you the last time you were on, just, uh, you got a minute, just kind of uh, give me the, uh, the Cliff Notes version of the book and what people can find if they buy it. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, uh, well, it's mostly, it's uh, sold online, Amazon, Goodreads, uh, I mean, uh, on Barnes and Noble and so forth. Um, the basic thesis is how how social isolation has been used as a political weapon, and has been at least since the French Revolution, all through modern history, by the Bolsheviks in Russia and Mao's uh, Cultural Revolution, the Nazis. Everybody, uh, all totalitarians, are invested in keeping people isolated because isolation. 
uh, is, uh, you know, it, an easy, or, uh, easy way for uh, <clears throat> social control and social engineering. And, uh, and I also go into the science of it, the social conformity uh, experiments that were done, especially during the 50s and 60s. And then, um, you know, I go into what I call the machinery of loneliness, which has uh, three main components, uh, political correctness, identity politics, and mob agitation. But I also discuss how we can get ourselves out of this trap, which, you know, use that fear of ostracism is quite a vulnerability. Well, um, I'm out of time, but I know you spent a lot of time working on that book, and I hope people check it out and um, hope to talk again. It's The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. And it's Stella Morabito, and I will not be running a Tesla. Thank you, Stella. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll be back. Well, you know, Joe Biden has become almost too easy of a target. He's he's like kicking somebody when they're down. He's just – did you see him in Hawaii? Uh, th- first of all, there's <laughs> there's one video of him. It looks like he's falling asleep. Okay, he's, he's being – he's being um, – he's sitting in a in an audience and somebody's talking about, you know, the, the people who have died and the people who are missing and all the stuff that's gone with the, the tragedy over there. But in one case, he talked about uh, how he and his wife, Jill, can relate because he lost his son. Obviously, losing his son was terrible. He went into the entire story about how he went to the hospital, and when he heard, uh, when his, um, uh, he's talking about his, his, uh, his car accident, we lost his wife, I'm sorry, not his son. And he taught, told the entire story about how he, was at the got the call to go to the hospital and Joe, people don't want to hear about it. It's a sad story. We're, I know it's a, it's something that's crushed you for your entire life. We all get that. It's not the time to bring it up. How, does anybody have to tell you that? Is he's incapable of of operating without a teleprompter? If it's not written on the teleprompter, he's ready to go off anywhere. And, you, and does, if I'll tell you what. Just seeing what he did in Maui when he had to be uh, extemporaneous, where he had no teleprompter, no script, he wasn't even able to take out his note cards, now you know, if you didn't already, why he can't be allowed to come to be out in public. He's the President of the United States. He cannot be out in public without a script. He can't. He's not capable of doing it. I, just, I, I, I watch this and I'm thinking... What are the people who are handling him, the, the, the puppet masters who are handling him? You can rattle off the names. I don't have time to do that here. But what are they thinking when he is – they have to be hiding under the desk somewhere in an office. Oh, no. There he goes. Oh, no, no. They asked him. Oh, no. It's, it's just, he's going to do the story about his wife again. Then he told the story of the fire, which was actually a, a kitchen fire, and the, the firefighter said he was lying about it. He went into that story. As he's over there talking to people who are still looking for a possible thousand kids who are missing. What? He's a, he's a moron and he's a creep. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.